You're listening to the Free As You Like public edit of Nonfic Pod, brought to you by Burnham Cod. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to hear more, why not look for Patreon Nonfic Pod? And there, for just a very small monthly payment, you can support us to make this show and hear the amazing bonus content in which our weekly guest tells us the shit they wish they'd known when they first started out. You are listening to Nonfic Pod with Burn. Hello! And Cod. Hiya! And in this episode, we have the interviewee Nana Darkoa Sechiyama, who has Ooh. written the book Sex Lives of African Women, or I should say, The Sex Lives of African Women. Nice. You always want a definite article in there. Oh, yeah. And it is so definite. Nana is such a a great speaker. Her confidence, I was just kind of sat there like, my God, I need more Nana in my life. It's a very sex positive chat. There's lots to think about in terms of sex education and empowerment and also opening up as an interviewer when you're encouraging interviewees to feel comfortable and speak. So I quite enjoyed it. Did it make me horny? I can't remember. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing she's had to do some sort of very intimate and very revealing conversations with people in order to put this book together. So I'm really looking forward to hearing how she manages to do that, how she gets their trust and gets them to feel confident enough to to share these deeply intimate things. So without further ado, oh, actually one ado, there are mild references to abuse and trauma in this interview. So if you think that might trigger you, maybe sit this one out. But it's all handled very carefully and respectfully. And Nana is an absolute supreme goddess. So you're in safe hands. Shall we go for it? Let's go for it. Let's hear about the sex lives of African women. Nana Dakoa Sechiyama is a Ghanaian writer, public speaker and feminist activist, working as Director of Communications and Media for the Association for Women's Rights in Development. It's an international NGO. In early 2009, with Malika Grant, Nana co-founded the award-winning blog Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women as a space to focus on sex, sexualities and African women. Her writing has been published in The Guardian, Open Democracy and Essence. Her first book, The Sex Lives of African Women, is out in the UK in hardback on the 22nd of July and is the reason we are here to chat today. It's so lovely to see you and our listeners will hear you in just a minute. Could you tell us how the book came to be? Oh my goodness. I feel like the book has been many years in the process. So in, I think it was 2009, myself and my best friend Malaika started Adventures from the Bedrooms of African Women, the blog you mentioned, which is a, a space where we share our own personal experiences of sex and sexuality, but we also, more importantly, encourage other African women to share their stories. And so I really got into this mode where I was always encouraging women to share their stories. Somebody would tell me something, the experience, and I'm like, do you want to write for the blog? Do you want to write for the blog? And at some point in time, I really became curious and I wanted to know more beyond the 500 word posts people were sharing with me. And I felt the only way I'd know more is by having really in-depth conversations with women. I was also thinking about the fact that there isn't a comprehensive book out there which captures the fantasies, the desires, the experiences of African and Black women. And I definitely felt a need for that. And I feel like 
those kind of public publications exist to some extent for white women, but nothing like that exists for African and black women. And so I thought, why don't I do this? You know, that whole thing about do the, the book that you actually want to read. And, and that's where the idea started from. So in 2015, I started interviewing women um, about the experiences of sex and sexuality. I'm quite lucky that because of my job and, you know, in feminism, I actually travel quite a lot. So what I would do is every time I went to a different place, I would just reach out to women and say, can I interview you for my book? And luckily, a lot of women said yes. How did you choose the women that you interviewed? Did you kind of put out adverts? Did you say, hey, I'm going to be in your town on social media? How did your paths cross? So in a variety of ways. So the very first woman I interviewed, I interviewed because she actually sent me a DM. So because I've been blogging about sex, a lot of times people will literally just slide in my DMs and ask me a question. So this particular woman reached out to me because she was confused about her own sexuality. And so we were just having a conversation back and forth. I had literally like just made the decision I was going to write this book. And so I said to her, can I interview you? Invited her to my home. And our first meeting, all we did was drink wine and chat, you know. And then in our second and third meetings, I actually interviewed her for the book. There was a time I went on holiday to Sao Tome, which is a small island off the coast of West Africa. And I said to the tour guide, do you know any woman here who would be open to me interviewing them? You know, in Sao Tome, they speak predominantly Portuguese. I don't speak a word of Portuguese, but I hired my tour guide as a translator and I interviewed a woman there. And for me, what's really good is I've actually kept in touch with like literally almost everybody I interviewed. So that's also been really cool. At some point in time, I also did a call out on Twitter that people responded to. I did call out on my blogs. Friends knew I was I was like writing this book. So they'll tell me, oh, you should interview this woman. You know, um, I interviewed one woman who was a dominatrix in the UK. And basically her friend who happened to my friend who happened to be her next door neighbor told me, like, I think you should interview this woman. So it was like in all of these ways um, that I got women to interview did you feel that you learnt a lot about sex through the process or was there anything that any of your interviewees told you that really surprised you? I actually feel I learnt a lot through the process. So the book is divided into three themes broadly, self-discovery, freedom and healing, right? So those were sort of the themes that were emerging to me as pretty consistent threads. Once I'd done like 20 interviews and I was sort of sitting down and analysing the data of what people had actually said to me. and I mean, there's so much I learned, I don't even know where to start from. (laughs) But for me, what was quite interesting was with the section on self-discovery, there was actually a lot of sometimes literal travel for women to discover themselves in in their sexuality. You know, sometimes people would travel to a space to go on a retreat, or somebody would travel to a different country to like, in one woman's case, to marry a man she had never met before in person. They had just met in real life. So there was, all, there was always something about journey and about traveling. And sometimes it wasn't physical. It was just sort of traveling in your, in your mind, um, exploring different things. The other thing I also really learned is, you know, the people who, I guess, in a sense, lived the most unconventional lives, the non-normative lives, especially the people who were not heterosexual, were the people who were having the best sex lives, you know, and also really how fundamental healing is to sexual pleasure. Um, as women, a lot of us have experienced all types of trauma from child sexual abuse to street harassment. And that really came across as, you know, something that a lot of women need to actually have space and time to deal with in order to discover themselves, in order to 
in a sense, live their best sex lives. Was it ever a struggle to decide what should and shouldn't go into the book? <laughs> yes and no. I have to say that it got to a certain point in time when I was interviewing people and I was thinking, okay, this is the story I want to tell. Because obviously people will t- share lots with you and then you have to pick what you put in the book. Mm. And so for me, I kind of chose depending on what resonated with me personally and what really connected with me. So there could be a story that would span so many different issues and I'll decide these are three issues I want to focus on for the book. And somehow I always felt and conversing with that woman, I could tell what the story was that I wanted to focus on. So in a way, it wasn't that difficult. Um, Yeah, the stories kind of spoke to me through the woman. And so what stories were you most drawn to? I've read the book, but I won't give any spoilers to anyone who's listening. What kind of themes were you really keen to dig into with your interviews? Personally, I was really interested in older women's experiences around sex and sexuality. I think it's because I am now rapidly approaching my mid-40s. You know, I started blogging about sex in like my late 20s. So in many ways, I guess I was kind of youngish when I started this work. And I've been curious, like, what's my sex life going to be like when I'm older? And it was really gratifying to me to interview older women who were having great sex lives, you know, enjoying their bodies, feeling comfortable in their bodies, had great partners. And that for me... You know, those are some of my favorite stories, to be honest. I think because it made me feel like we shouldn't buy into what society tells us about, you know, you become older and you're left on the shelf and nobody's interested in you. That is so false. That's one of the things that was really, really forced to me through these interviews. And those were some of my favorite stories, that the conversations with older women. I found them personally really inspirational. And I also think in society, we tend to like, ignore older women right and so for me it was really nice to have these older women as as models of sexual freedom really I'm guessing you must have tried to approach people who said no no I I don't I don't want anything to do with it but maybe I'm wrong how how was the reception when you put those invitations out there well because I was doing call outs most people were responding to my invitation and of course there were a few people I would reach out to and ask directly I honestly do not think anybody said no to me but I think I always sort of would have a sense of, is this the kind of person who would want to be interviewed for a book like that before asking? And so there's always something about the person which, you know, so one of the older women I interviewed, for example, she was visiting Ghana with her partner. I knew her partner. I didn't know her. They came to dinner and I thought, you know, you sound so cool. You sound like you've had an amazing life and you've got such a big heart and spirit. I went to interview you. So straight away over dinner, I'm like, I'm writing this book. Can I interview you? And she said, yes. So I feel like you could always get a sense of, you know, who would be down for this kind of intimate conversation, because it really is an intimate conversation where I'm asking you about your experiences of sex, partners you've had, what you found pleasurable, what you've learned along the way. How did you make interviewees comfortable for that process? I mean, you mentioned wine earlier, which I can imagine being quite helpful. (laughs) Yes. So I give people a lot of options, especially in their really early days, right? Um, In the early days, I was interviewing people face-to-face, and I think that made a lot of difference. I think it made a lot of difference to me, especially, because I really got to, in a sense, understand what I wanted from people, the kind of stories I wanted to tell. And I guess I sort of strengthened my own interviewing skills and figured out how to build rapport with people. And I was still interviewing people, like, when COVID hit, right? So by then, we had to switch to virtual and switch to zoom interviews but then I think because I had done so many in-person interviews I just 
kind of had honed my knack of developing rapport with people. And so that really helped. And and sometimes what I would also do to build rapport is also share something about myself, right? I think if people are opening their hearts to you and sharing, in a sense, their deepest secrets with you, you also need to give a little bit of yourself back, which is why in the book, I also include my own story. Was that the first time you'd written that story, that the story of yours that appears in the back? Because obviously to you and I, you having written it, me having read it, it involves some traumatic experiences that you had at a younger age. Was that something that had appeared on the blog before or, or was this the first time in the book? It wasn't something that had appeared on the blog before. It was actually, the beginning was actually part of a submission I had made many, many, many years ago when I had applied for the Farafina Writing Workshop, which is a workshop um, led by Chimanda Ngozi Adeshi. And I had actually submitted, you know, that particular excerpt. And so it hadn't been published. <laughs> but yeah, I decided to incorporate it in my own personal essay in the book, yeah. And yes, it was difficult to write about. I think it's always difficult to write about, you know, child sexual abuse. Um, but I felt it was really important. People had shared their own experiences with me. And I felt it was very important that I be open and honest myself. And, you know, it sounds really horrible, but there are so many people who have been sexually abused as children. And I think it's important for us to make this a part of our everyday conversation. Even whilst we may not necessarily want to focus on that or, you know, you don't want people to think, like to only think of you as a victim, right? You want people to see you as as who you see yourself today. And I see myself as somebody who has, you know, really worked hard to free myself of, I guess, societal norms <laughs> and to, yeah, figure out how to live my best sex life. And that's kind of what I want people to think about me. What are the societal norms like for women in Ghana? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, first of all, growing up, you know, um, I, and I would venture to say the majority of Ghanaian women receive no sex education. Sex education is usually limited to don't have sex, you know, and definitely don't have sex until you're married. And, you know, if you do have sex before you're married, or if you have sex as a young person, you're really made to believe that you will automatically fall pregnant. And if you do fall pregnant, your life will be destroyed as a result. And I had that fear for a really long time. You know, I didn't have actually have sex until I was almost 23 because I was literally terrified of falling pregnant and having my life destroyed. You know, we have all of these soap operas in Ghana, which really has that as a trope. A teenage girl gets pregnant, she gets thrown out of school, her family abandons her and her life is miserable. So that was the association I had about sex. Nobody said to me, first of all, you can have sex on your own, you know. You can have sex with toys. Um, you can have sex with other women and never fall pregnant. You know, like there were all of these options around sex that nobody ever explained to me. And for me, like comprehensive sex education should teach women that their bodies are theirs, should teach them to enjoy their bodies, to, to appreciate their bodies, to know how to keep themselves safe and not equate sex with pregnancy or disease. I'm very interested by the title of the book, The Sex Lives of African Women. What does that title mean to you? Do you feel like you're capturing this variety of sex lives? Do you feel like you're showing African women what to aspire to? Do you feel like you're blowing down boundaries? Do you think it's all of those things? Is it something else? It's because it's a provocative title for some people, right? They'll read that and go, ooh, sex lives African women. What's going on in here? <laughs> Absolutely. What I really want to show with the book is that there is diverse tapestry of experiences 
the African women have about sex. It is not one story. And I feel like, especially in Western media, you know, African women are usually portrayed as vectors of disease, women who are constantly pregnant, you know, have suffered from FG. Um, and it's like really one story. And I wanted to show when it comes to African women, we have so many stories. We have empowering stories. We have stories where we are, you know, figuring out our sex lives. We have multiple partners. We have one partner. We celebrate, you know, we've been traumatized, but we found healing. And I wanted to show that rich variety of African women's experiences of sex. I also want this book to be a manual on, in a sense, how to live your best sex life. Because for me, I get so much inspiration from the woman I interviewed. And I believe that the stories are also inspirational for other people who may read the book, you know? And you may be thinking, okay, I don't know how to heal from this experience. And you may read about a practice one woman did and think, okay, that might work for me, right? Or you may be inspired by somebody's bold decision to end a relationship to think, okay, I'm going to end this relationship that doesn't serve me and find, you know, maybe multiple other relationships that may serve me. And so I think of it as showcasing the breadth of our experiences, but also as an inspiration for how to live your best sex life. So the copy I got sent was an advanced copy with some pretty exciting words on the front. Erotic, <laughs> sensual, wild, experimental, passionate, wet. That was a very eye-catching cover. Did you come up with that? Did the publicity team come up with it? What do you think about it? Tell me all. I'm so intrigued. <laughs> I have to give all the credit to the amazing publicity team at Dialogue Books. They came up with it. But I loved it. I was like, okay, you guys are going to go there? Let's do it. I'm all for boldness. <laughs> and what kind of reactions have you had so far? I know the book's not officially out yet, but the, the proof's kind of going around and about. The reactions have been extremely positive. It's really heartwarming. We've got reviews from the likes of Dorothy Coombson, who is like a leading Black British romance writer. Like so many positive reviews, book bloggers are sharing it. People are tagging me. You know, people are tagging me when they've pre-ordered. So it's really, really heartwarming. It feels like the book is meeting a need. I've had my publisher tell me about colleagues sending her voice notes to say I am feeling seen for the first time in my life. So we're getting really positive early reactions. And is there anything you've been worried about before the book comes out? I think a lot of writers might go, oh my gosh, the exposure. What are people going to think? What are the other, what are the women contributors going to say when they read it in print? Any nerves before July? No, that's a great question. You know, obviously I interviewed women and then I wrote the story. I didn't get to read the stories. They didn't get to approve it. And like I said earlier, I picked the stories that connected the most with me. So I'm really hoping that the women will feel seen. And I feel, I hope they will enjoy the stories. And I hope even if maybe, because I think sometimes when you read a story, you may think, oh gosh, I hadn't realized that I came across like that. And maybe not all aspects will be positive. So I hope even if there are parts where people haven't been portrayed positively, they see the truth, at least in terms of how I saw them. Um, and I, I hope everybody feels happy that they contributed to this because in a way, the book is totally collaborative. If women hadn't shared their stories with me, this book wouldn't exist. For myself, I'm not nervous about what people will think about me. I think because I've been blogging about sex for a really long time. What I'm a little bit like, huh, is I don't know what my mom's reaction will be when she reads the book. <laughs> I was going to ask about your mom, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because both my parents were avoiding reading my blog they knew what the subject of the blog was about sadly my dad recently passed so he doesn't get to read the book mm. 
but he was actually very excited I was doing this book. He was totally supportive. He kept saying, I don't know about your sex life, but when are you finishing with the book? Like, why are you not done yet? And so when are you finished? Like, he was really on my case to finish the book. Um, so I'm happy it's done and it's out. And I don't know. I'll give my mom the option. I'll say, you know what? If you don't want to read about my sex life, don't read the last essay. <laughs> so, yes. That seems fair. And I hope lots of guys do pick this up. Obviously devastating that your dad doesn't get to read it. Hopefully other fathers, husbands, sons, brothers out there will read it and go beyond the stereotypes. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, when we started our blog, Adventures for the Bedrooms of African Women, we had imagined our readers would be all women. And I would dare say we have about 40% of our audience being men. And I think men are very much interested in women's experiences of sex and sexuality. I think a lot of guys nowadays want to be better lovers, you know, and that's why they read adventures. And I hope men who want to be better lovers and better partners and just better human beings will also buy the sex lives of African women. Stop right there, lovely listener. Have you got a Patreon account? The next bit, shit I wish I'd known, is exclusively for our Patreon backers and it's absolutely full of insights from Nana. So if you want to hear Nana say... I think that's super, 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 super important. Or... And I was thinking, oh yes, I definitely want to include this. Then subscribe from just £2 a month and you will get to hear the rest of Georgie's fantastic interview with this amazing speaker. Your support also allows us to pay for the tools that get our podcast to your ears as quickly as possible. So thank you so much to all of our patrons and please do consider joining us if you like this podcast. And if the last year has left you feeling a little financially bereft, as it has so many of us, then you can also help just by liking, reviewing and sharing this podcast. The more listeners we get, the more love there is for these amazing interviews like Nana. So thank you so much for listening. The Sex Lives of African Women is out with Dialogue Books on the 22nd of July and it's available for pre-order now. And pre-order is very important for authors. It helps them boost their sales so that they're higher up on the lists. It affects how publishers stock their book after the release date. So if you're interested in this book, then you can pre-order and visit our bookshop. We've got one with Pod. That's uk.bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash non-fic pod and the proceeds of that go towards helping independent bookshops as well as helping Nana and helping the podcast. You can find Nana at www.dakoatherwriter.com on Twitter at NAS009 and on Instagram at D for Darkoa. Um, I'm feeling very rested now. And very inspired and wanting to know, Vern, what you have been reading. Please tell. So a lot of what I've been reading has been fiction. Ah, splitter. Ah, Complete splitter. I know. What a terrible human being I am. But I've been listening to some other amazing factual podcasts. I am really enjoying Today in Focus. I also did a very deep dive into the last season of The Last Archive which was phenomenally good fun. But the thing I've been reading the most non-fiction-wise this week has been How to Build a Human, because I'm actually in the middle of recording the audiobook for it, which is uh, my first time doing that and is a terrifically odd experience. And 
five years of reading short Julia Donaldson stories in rhyming couplets to my daughter. It's not really preparation for recording my book, not least because I realise there's a whole chapter on language in which I talk about First Nations languages from North America that are the names of them alone are not not made for sadly monoglot tongues like my own. Lots of Chinese, and I do talk about how difficult it is for people who learn non-tonal languages to manage tonal languages. So I, I mangle the Chinese in that. So it's been an absolute roller coaster of a couple of days in the studio. We've got a couple of days more. But weirdly enough, I'm still enjoying the book. So, yeah, so that has been my week. And it's also why I'm sorry, I'm slightly hoarse. Um, Partly that and partly as well. My daughter has brought home something from school. So not a horse, not a horse. No, God, it's bad enough that they ask us to suddenly send them in in fancy dress on Thursday or something. It's like they also go, your daughter gets to keep hold of the class pet this half term and it's a horse it's a shetland <laughs> oh my god that would I, be so good and bad at the same time so good and bad at the same time so thankfully no uh we have not been sent a horse just a horse child um but yeah that has been uh, unfortunately where most of my reading brain has gone this week hence a lot of listening to podcasts uh, how about you georgie though what have you been indulging in oh my gosh so i've had a I don't know if this happens to you as well, but sometimes I have these explosions where I just have to read as much as I possibly can. And anything I see, I've got to pick it up and I'm completely engrossed. So I've actually read three nonfiction books in the last week and I'm like, holla, as well as doing my freelancing work. So something's clearly being overlooked in my life, possibly my relationship with my boyfriend. But anyway, books are the best and of the three I've been reading I especially want to talk about briefly. I first started Ronan Farrow's Catch and Kill. Have you heard about it? I have, I have. Incredible expose. Yes, so this is Ronan Farrow who happens to be the son of Woody Allen and Mia Farrow and so has had first-hand family experience of child abuse and the fallout of that and dealing with that in in that his sister was abused by Woody Allen, her dad. And he's an investigative journalist, an American investigative journalist, who kind of sets himself in the task of trying to uncrack the... Uncrack? Is that a word? Surely crack. Ooh, uh, you think unearth or crack open, possibly. <laughs> That reminds me of, slight language note, if you are listening with small children, maybe put your hands over their ears now. When I was first writing the swearing book, somebody asked me about why, I think it was John Inverdale had talked about looking back with rose-cunted glasses. (gasps) And I don't think it was actually that he was swearing, it was the fact that rose-coloured and rose-tinted got smashed together in his brain. And a poor man on air, I'm not sure if it was Inver, sorry if it wasn't you, just going rose-cunted glasses and then being forced to apologise profusely, despite the fact that the brain is just very good at going, oh, there's about three words that would do here. Let me put together some kind of wonderful portmanteau of these three words. In fact, it's also an amazing plot point in one of my daughter's favourite books at the moment, Llama Out Loud. And the reason why the girl doesn't speak at all is because of the infamous purple slash poo incident, which if you have children between about sort of five and 11, I strongly recommend Llama Out Loud. So Georgie's portmanteau aside, he is uncovering 
unearthing, exposing. Yes, and cracking the case of, or trying to bring Harvey Weinstein and his various appalling misdemeanors to light and fighting against a system that is set up to protect the wealthy and keep that money coming into networks like NBC, which is where Ronan Farrow was reporting. And also the network kind of turned on him in the process of writing the story to protect Weinstein. But that's just a brief taster. There are a lot of names in the book and a lot of references and things like that. So it's not, I wouldn't have said it's the kind of beach read of your dreams necessarily, because it can be, I think it required a lot of my focus, but it was worth it. And so engaging and infuriating in equal measure. So I'd recommend checking that out. I got it from my local library, Big Up the Libraries. And the other book that I've just started, and I'm so into it already, and I'm only, what am I, 60 pages in, is My Life in Orange by Tim Guest. Have you heard of this one, Bern? I have not. It's a memoir of sorts by a guy whose mother was involved in a cult with Bhagwan Rajneesh, an Indian guru who was the subject of a documentary called Wild Wild Country, which was quite popular on Netflix. Mm-hmm. I started watching the documentary last year and I got distracted and wasn't into it. I basically picked up this book because it's got a really orange cover and I fucking love the colour orange. Yes, orange is uh, definitely <laughs> on brand for cod. <laughs> so yeah, I picked up orange and my life in orange, growing up with the guru and it's so beautifully written he's got some wonderful turns of phrase I feel completely like I'm there and right now he's he and his mum have just come back from Pune in South India in their first visit to the ashram of how many I don't know and the adults are running around nude and experimenting and pushing each other off buildings in LSD trances that kind of thing it's chaotic and worrying but also completely gripping so again thank you to my local library thank you to tim guest for writing it and i cannot wait to keep reading it this weekend see the gestalt therapist in training in me is going these are two stories of young men who were brought up in these powerful controlling spaces and found the courage to use their words to push back and uh, i would invite you to ponder georgia on why you have an appetite for this kind of narrative right now Ooh. but also they just sound like absolute bangers of books to be honest <laughs> they are <laughs> i will try not to read any deeper meaningfuls into it but yeah they they both sound like if you need the inspiration of you know how people find their feet find their voices find their spaces those both sound yeah. incredible totally recommend have we got anything else Yeah, one other thing I wanted to mention is that the last time Georgie and I spoke, we spoke in person, along with our amazing social media person and transcriber and just general producer and maker of things to happen, Beatrice Bazell. We all went to lovely, lovely Brighton. And we are currently in the process of putting together our summer special. If you have or know kids, if you're trying to be the cool auntie and uncle or you're despairing of what you're going to get your kids to do over the summer holidays, we have a treat for you coming up. We still have some final things to put together, but we have the Kids Nonfiction Awards, the first inaugural non-fic pod Kids Nonfiction Awards. And we will bring these to you in time to get your reading on for the school summer holidays. 
we have our shortlist and they are absolute stunners, all of them. So yeah. Keep your ears peeled, people. But sitting on the beach and looking at kids' picture books and books about consent and history and science and Claire Balding, uh, just so good. So good. Such a fun day. <laughs> I love how Claire Balding is a genre to herself. Claire Balding <laughs> is a genre to herself. <laughs> Um, because it's like, you know, Claire Balding it just sums up so much in, what is it, fall off, get back on, keep going. She is the slightly dotty aunt slash godmother that we all wish we'd had at school mm-hmm. that would go, it's okay. You don't have to be one of the conformist cool girls. You be you. I sort of, I want Claire Balding to retrospectively adopt me, despite the fact that our difference in ages is probably such that she would be an older sister rather than an aunt. But uh, have a listen out for our summer special coming in a few weeks' time when we've managed to convene our panel of judges again and decide the absolute best reads for your kids of fair ages through this summer holiday. Nonfic Pod is brought to you by Emma Byrne, Georgie Cod, Beatrice Bissell, and Mike Wire. Our Patreon backers are Nicola Myrams, Claire and Alexander, Mike Wire, David Corney, Juliet Miller, and Alessandra Coyne. Thank you so much for your support. We heart you long time. Patreon backers. So if you want to see, no, no, you don't you want can't to see. see anything. Brains are weird, man. <laughs> help us by rating, reviewing and sharing Nonfic Pod. Every little helps to build our audience and that means we get to share fantastic non-fiction with more people just like you. And it helps us to keep bringing you the greatest authors and the hottest reads. Mm-hmm.